Crying can be very therapeutic and helpful, but sometimes it can just make things worse. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bites of Judaism podcast, helping you unlock your best life, know your why, and be everything you were born to be. To subscribe to the podcast, go to rabbiglick.link slash podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Mr. and Mrs. Dovid and Malki Smetana. If you'd like to dedicate a future episode of this podcast, send an email to podcast at rabbiglick.com. Now, let's talk about crying. Crying has many functions. Obviously, in a baby, crying serves to alert people as to the baby's needs, to alert the baby's parents. They need to eat. They need to sleep. They need a diaper change, etc. So that's one of the functions that crying serves, but that's not the one we're going to primarily focus on. What I want to focus on is adults crying, because the function and benefit of crying for adults is very different. Now, it's true that these actually benefits and functions are probably relevant for children as well. But when it comes to adults, you know, we're very lucky that crying among adults isn't looked down upon the way it was not so long ago. The stigma of adults crying, thankfully, has been reduced a lot. So not that long ago, you know, for an adult to cry was looked down upon. It was looked as weak. It was looked as immature. It was looked at as as childish. And today, you know, the the validity and importance of crying is accepted among adults is accepted and appreciated and recognized much more widely. And the reason that I say we're lucky that that perspective has changed is because there are many benefits to crying. And in a society where crying among adults is looked down upon, we lose out on those benefits. And, And the benefits of crying for an adult now, obviously, this doesn't mean that, you know, on, on any random day, it's a good idea to go and try to cry. But it means that when there's something that's bothering us, something that's hurting us, that we feel a need to cry about, the permission to allow ourselves to cry is a very good thing. Because there are a number of different benefits that crying allows for, that crying provides, you know, particularly when there's something that bothers us crying is part of the process of of grieving, of processing what's happened, what we're going through, the difficulties that we're experiencing, the sadness, the pain, the hurt that we're experiencing. And crying is an important part of the process of, of processing that, of acknowledging it to ourselves, of validating it to ourselves, and really allowing ourselves to to experience the hurt and the pain, the discomfort, the sadness, whatever it is, which is a very important step in the process of getting to the point that we can move beyond it. And when I say move beyond it, it doesn't mean that it's not going to bother us anymore, but it means that we have processed it and it's not pent up inside and, and you know, crouching there and and bothering us the same way that it was before because we've acknowledged it, we've experienced it, we've gone through it, gone through the process of, you know, of of validating and experiencing and feeling it. And that allows us to move on and, and, and the hurt and the pain can still be there, but it doesn't hurt us the same way that it did 
when it was pent up and unacknowledged and unvalidated. And this is why I say we're so fortunate today that the view that, you know, society's collective view towards crying has changed. Because there's so much benefit to be gained by being able to allow ourselves to cry. We're, when we're in a situation in which you know, things are not the way that we'd like them to be. And it's causing us pain. It's causing us hurt. And, and, and we're suffering with these negative emotions that we have inside as a result of these circumstances. Once we've allowed ourselves to process all of that through crying or crying being a part of that, at least, we can get to a situation where we can still have the same circumstances and have the same undesirable situation and the pain and the suffering, but we can experience all of that in a state of far improved well-being. We can be much healthier and in a much better state of well-being together with all of that, together with those negative emotions. And they, they don't, we don't suffer as much from them. They don't affect our health and well-being the same way after we've acknowledged and processed it through crying as they do before. So the fact that you know society allows us to cry more today means that we are better able to achieve states of improved health and well-being whenever we're in a situation that, you know, that involves pain, that involves suffering. Because we, we're allowed and we have this permission to do what we need to do to be able to be in these circumstances in a state of greater health and well-being. And and this is why it's it's such a positive thing that society, you know, is recognizing this and 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 you know, allowing us to be able to cry when we need to as adults. Because the lack of stigma means that we can achieve states of greater health and well-being when we are experiencing pain, discomfort, suffering, etc. And the suffering we experience as a result is reduced. The magnitude is, re- is reduced. The, the extent to which it, it takes over everything and, and makes everything... It, it, it just magnifies the negative emotions and makes those negative emotions really encompass all of our lives because they're pent up inside and, and raging to get out. And we can get away from that through crying. Now, recall that in the opening, I mentioned that sometimes crying can just make things worse. So the question is, when would crying make things worse? If crying is so beneficial and has so much to offer in terms of healing and and being therapeutic and allowing us to feel better and to be in a state of of greater health and well-being in the face of challenges and difficulty, etc., why would there ever be a situation when crying is going to make things worse? Why would I ever say, you know what, in that situation, crying's not really the way to go. That's really not the path forward. What, what would make a situation such that crying is, you know, no longer the recommendation? What, why is crying going to be less helpful? So the truth is that I wouldn't necessarily say that there are situations in which crying doesn't have the benefit that we talked about. But there are situations in which there are other options and pathways forward 
that have much more benefit to be gained than crying does, which makes crying not the best option in those circumstances. And in short, what it boils down to is situations, you know, the the value of crying is if we're in a situation where we have, you know, negative emotions, it's undesirable, it's not the way we want it to be, and that is causing us negative emotions, pain in our experience. If there is something we can do to actually change the circumstances so that they don't need to be undesirable anymore, well, that would be a better option than just crying to alleviate the pain that the undesirable circumstances are causing, wouldn't it? Right? It's true that in these undesirable circumstances, crying is likely to alleviate the the magnitude of the pain and the suffering and the discomfort. But wouldn't it be better when the option is available to take action to change the circumstances so that the pain and suffering and discomfort don't need to be there anymore because the circumstances are no longer undesirable at all? Right. In, in such a situation, to sit around and cry to alleviate the pain is really falling short falling short very much because not because it doesn't have the benefit but because we have a much better option we could be eliminating the undesirable circumstances instead of having to cry to alleviate the pain and suffering that we experience as a result of those circumstances and on top of that not only does crying fall short because we could be taking action to change the circumstances Crying could actually be making things worse than they need to be because because we know that crying is valuable and it is helpful and is therapeutic. You know, we can, in a circumstance where we should be taking action, we might cry about the situation and feel like, well, you know, I've cried, I've processed it, I've done what I can do to to work through this pain and suffering and to minimize the pain and suffering I'm going to have as a result and feel like we've done our job and move on as a result of which we're just going to continue experiencing these negative circumstances unnecessarily because instead of crying, there's action we could have taken to eliminate the negative circumstances and make things better so that there wouldn't be the pain and suffering to deal with and process in the first place. All right. So, so by crying, if the crying is going to make us feel like we've done what we need to do, it's actually a negative thing instead of a positive. Now, you know, to for the sake of, of being complete and fair and, you know, not oversimplifying, sometimes when there's action to be taken, processing pain, discomfort, crying about it might also have a place as well, right? If we're in a situation where it's difficult and the steps that we need to take to make things better are going to be difficult and painful... You know, there, there might be a place to acknowledge and, and work through that as well. But the primary objective here is not to work through the negative or undesirable circumstances and the negative emotions we have as a result. The primary plan of action here is to take action to eliminate the undesirable circumstances, to actually make things better. You know, and there are going to be in life many situations in which there's nothing we can do. And, you know, we, we, there is no action we can take to change the circumstances. You know, sometimes there are just circumstances that are beyond our control. 
that create a situation for us that's undesirable. Sometimes, you know, we feel hurt about something that someone else is going through. And when we can help someone else, you know, Torah and Judaism are all about helping people whenever we can. But the fact is, and you know, this in and of itself can be a process to learn to accept and to deal with. And it can be very painful when there's someone who who we love and desperately want to help. And they don't want to be helped. They're not ready to be helped. Oftentimes, there's very little we can do. And sometimes we need to just have the faith and accept that, you know, this is not our battle. This is not our mission. And sometimes then... You know, crying can actually play a couple of roles. Crying can be part of the process of accepting and dealing with the pain that we feel to help ourselves get to a healthier situation with experiencing that and dealing with it. And sometimes crying as a part of prayer, part of the process of prayer, part of the process of of teshuva, of repentance, maybe in the merit of that person that we want to help. You know, those are additional roles that crying can play. And, you know, don't underestimate the power of prayer and of teshuva and and turning things around ourselves in the merit of someone else who we want to help, but we can't help directly. So crying can have a role to play, a, a number of different roles to play there. And, you know, sometimes it can be really hard when there's someone we love and we desperately want to help and we can't because they're just not ready to accept help. And, you know, when there's someone who we love and are unable to help and they're in a difficult situation and there's nothing we can do about it, that's, you know, that, that's one of the, the the ultimate situations in which crying is the thing to do. You know, we have that pain and there's not much we can do about it. We can cry in prayer and we can cry in our acknowledgement and validating and processing the pain that we feel to allow ourselves to get to a situation in which we can live with it in a way that's more healthy in a way that we've in a situation in which we've processed that and dealt with it and gone through it but generally when we have undesirable circumstances that surround ourselves that are to do with us it's much more likely that there is something we can do about it. You know, when it's someone else, sometimes we can help people. Sometimes there's what to do. You know, a lot of times we desperately want to help someone and we can't because they have to be ready to take the responsibility. And it just, we can't make people take responsibility. We can try to open their eyes. We can try to, you know, help them with awareness. We can try to encourage them. But if someone's not ready to take responsibility, there really is a limit to what we can do for them. But when it comes to ourselves, it's our responsibility and we have to step up to the plate and take responsibility for our circumstances. And it's true that with ourselves too, there can be circumstances that are beyond our control. But largely when it comes to our own circumstances, we're much more likely to be responsible for things to a far greater degree than when we're talking about someone else's circumstances. So when it's it's our own circumstances, our own situation, Generally speaking, it's much more likely that the priority is going to be coming up with a plan of action and taking action to change those circumstances rather than crying about them. As opposed to when it's someone else, it's much more likely that, you know, it's likely that there's going to be much more of a limit on what we can actually do to change things. And it's likely that crying is going to have much more of a of a place and much more of a role to play. And 
This really comes up in a couple of different places in this week's Torah portion. So there are two instances we see in this week's Torah portion of crying, of people crying together. One is when Yosef, so in this week's Torah portion, Vayigash, it's it's the continuation of the saga when Yosef, Joseph was the king, the ruler, second to the second, you know, second to the ruler, second to the king, second to the pharaoh in Egypt. And his brothers had come down to get food and they didn't recognize him because he'd been a young child and now he was this mature adult. And he knew who they were and he was sort of leading them along and going along in this whole story. And finally, he acknowledges to them who he is and he tells them who he is. And um, in this story, when Yosef and Binyamin, his younger, his only, Yosef had 10 half brothers. So there were 12 brothers, all sons of Yosef, but they were born to four different mothers. So Yosef was one of the 12. He had 10 half brothers and one full brother from both his father, Yaakov, Jacob, and his mother, Rachel. And this full brother was Binyamin. And then Yosef and Binyamin embraced and they wept. Both of them were crying. And there's Medrash that explains why the two of them were crying. And it says that Yosef was crying for a loss that he foresaw in Binyamin's future. And Binyamin was crying for a loss that he foresaw in Yosef's future. Right? And, and, and this is the reason why each one was crying for the other one's loss. When it comes to Yosef's loss in his future, in the future of, of his tribe, of his descendants, of, of his um, domain, his territory... It, it, that's his responsibility. And the primary approach of Yosef towards his issues is figure out what to do about it and try to get the job done. It's not to say that crying never has any place, but the primary responsibility, the primary plan of action is step up to the plate, figure out what needs to be done and make it happen. When it comes to, to, to Binyamin's losses in his future, in Binyamin's territory, in Binyamin's domain, there's a lot less control that Yosef has and a lot less responsibility. And that's why when it came to Binyamin's losses in his future, Yosef cried because there wasn't as much that he could do about it. But what he could do was cry. He could cry to process what he was going through. He could cry to commiserate with Binyamin and he could cry in prayer. And the same thing was true of Binyamin for Yosef's losses. And that's why they weren't crying for themselves. Because when it came to themselves, each one knew that they had to take responsibility and get the job done. When it came to each other's losses, the losses that they foresaw in each other's future, then they cried. And we have a similar story that happened with Yosef and his father Yaakov. When Yaakov... You know, Yosef, when Yosef acknowledged to his brothers, admitted who he was and told them, like, it's me, Yosef, your brother. And he tells them, go get our father, Yaakov, bring him down to Egypt. You know, I got you. I'm going to take care of him. Tell him to come ASAP. I haven't seen him for years. He needs to come here, live here. It's going to be all good. So they, you know, go back and, and, and get Yaakov and bring Yaakov down to Egypt. And when Yosef meets Yaakov, it says that Yosef, in his embrace of Yaakov, Yosef wept. Yaakov didn't weep. 
Yaakov was saying Shema. He was saying Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekeinu, Hashem Echad. And again, the reason is the same. Why did Yosef weep? Yosef wept because of the losses he foresaw. The same losses he foresaw before. That it was a loss for the, you know, for the entire Jewish people, but primarily associated with Binyamin and Binyamin's responsibility. And there wasn't that much that Yosef could do about it. So he cried. And it's talking about the destruction of the Bote Mikdash, the destruction of the temples that were in Binyamin's region of Israel, of Eretz Yisrael. And so Yosef saw the loss, the destruction of the temples in Binyamin's region of Eretz Yisrael, and he cried because it wasn't his territory. There wasn't as much that he could do. It wasn't so much his responsibility. But Yaakov was the father of all the tribes, right? We are called the people of Israel, B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel. Who's Yisrael? Yisrael is Yaakov's second name. He is the father of all 12 tribes. He's the father of the entire Jewish people. So Yaakov wasn't crying about it. Yaakov was busy doing what he could do. Yaakov was affirming his faith in the creator, affirming the oneness of God. And more specifically, again, there are Midrashim that talk about the connection between Shema, between the Shema prayer and sacrifices and say that the Shema is to a degree a replacement and equivalent of the sacrifices that were offered in the temple. So Yaakov foresaw the destruction of the temples and he didn't have time to cry about it. This is his turf. This is his territory. This is his responsibility. So what did he do? He said Shema, which is the equivalent of the service that was carried out in the temples. But for Yosef, it was outside of his territory and domain. It was outside of his responsibility. So he cried because that's what he could do. It's what he could do to alleviate his own pain and hurt. And it's what he could do to commiserate and perhaps to pray on behalf of what was going to happen in Binyamin's territory. So, you know, and, and it's 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 not always either or. A lot of times, you know, we can experience and acknowledge and validate what we're going through and it might involve some crying and then take action. And sometimes validating the pain we're going through and and maybe crying about it if necessary can be an important part of what we have to go through in order to be ready to take the actions we need to take. But when there are actions that we can take, that's the primary approach. The primary focus is take the actions, come up with a strategy and get it done. And in a situation where it's not our responsibility and there isn't much that we can do, then the role of crying is really going to be very much more at the forefront. Now, and, and this is a, a, a really, really profound and very important lesson that we can take from both of these stories in this week's Pasha, from both of these encounters between Yosef and his brother Binyamin and between Yosef and his father Yaakov. There's a time to cry. And when it's the time to cry, it's the right thing to do. But there's also a time to take action. And when it's time to take action, crying makes things worse than they need to be because we could be alleviating the negative circumstances and eliminating them instead of just reducing the pain that we experience as a result. And to cry to reduce the pain we experience as a result of undesirable circumstances when we could be eliminating the negative circumstances and making them better so that we don't even have negative emotions that we have to alleviate, it's a real shame to just focus on alleviating and reducing the pain and suffering. It's a shame. This has been the Bites of Judaism podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a five-star rating and a review. It will help it reach more people. 
and tell your friends about it so they can check it out. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms at rabbiglick.link slash podcast. If you'd like to dedicate a future episode of the podcast, please send an email to podcast at rabbiglick.com. See you next week.